everyone. Welcome to our first ever Mando Monday hosted by Walt's Apartment Podcast, uh, the official podcast of the Diz Insider. We're so excited for you all to be listening in and possibly viewing in if we decide to post the video version of this later. Um, would like to introduce you to my daughter Jade. Hi, I'm Jade. <laughs> um, and you know me as Amber at Tin Cosplay from uh, Walt's apartment. You'll find our uh, social media information in the description of this podcast if you'd like to follow us on Instagram. Um, and feel free to make comments. We love to interact with fans. Today, in introducing this um, kind of new segment, Mando Mondays, um, for the next 10 weeks or so, Every Monday, we're going to release an episode um, that follows the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian. Today's episode is going to be pretty lengthy. We're going to talk about season one, give you some background, some in-depth kind of information about some of the episodes, um, and then talk some speculations for season two, which we're super excited about. Um, And then every Monday after a release of a chapter of season two's Mandalorian. Uh, We're going to do just a quick uh, initial impressions, what we thought about the episodes, and we'll release those on Mondays as well, following along with our Mando Monday moniker, uh, which also highlights a um, campaign, merchandise campaign that's going to go along with season two. Um, Toys, Exclusive merchandise are going to roll out on StarWars.com and other places. So if you just look up MandoMonday.com, there's going to be some cool merchandise coming out. And as if you're watching this video, you can see behind us, we're quite addicted to the merchandise from The Mandalorian. So we're very excited for this. So we're going to break down season one. So The Mandalorian is kind of um, what we would consider a space western. It's a TV series, the first ever live action Star Wars uh, TV series um, created by Jon Favreau and released solely on Disney+. Um, It is set five years after the events of Return of the Jedi, and it follows the title character, The Mandalorian, who's a bounty hunter. We later learn's name is Din Jaren. Um, and we kind of follow his um, bounty hunter exploits across kind of the outer reaches of the galaxy. Um, the premiere of the show was on November 12, 2019. Um, and it has received nothing but positive reviews. Um, and if you followed this year's Emmy Awards, did amazing Um for its visual effects and music and directing and those types of things. So um, definitely hit a home run after a lot of um, what's been mixed reviewed Star Wars content for the last few years. Um, So we think they've definitely figured out how to keep everything lined up. And thanks to Dave Filoni, who some of you may not know, um, the amazing producer, 
for the Mandalorian. Um, we've also the creator, director for yeah. the Clone Wars, which is the animated series um, that you can also find on Disney Plus that gives you a lot of background to that um, perhaps I can talk about it another time. But he's kind of been given the reins um, from George Lucas in a way, studied under him all of those years creating the Clone Wars. So he really has this deep understanding of how the Star Wars universe is connected. And you really see that in this series and how the storylines all fit together so well in what we already know of as the um, canon part of the Star Wars universe. Um, and he understands that kind of um, gritty vibe that the very first original movies had and really tried to replicate that with this series. Um which I think really spoke to old school fans. Yeah. Um, and George Lucas also put a lot of input in on the show is what he was mm-hmm. saying in the galleries, uh, little kind of mm-hmm. yeah. review of the show. Yes. So also if you're interested in learning a little bit more um, of the background stuff behind the Mandalorian season one, um, the gallery um, is a series that kind of followed behind the scenes. Um, you can find that on Disney Plus as well. It gives you a lot of very cool insight into how they created this world, um, some background into the characters. Um, we highly recommend that. Yeah. The directors kind of just have a back and forth conversation about the whole series and everything that went into making it and like all the cool, like amazing special effects that were used. Like instead of using green screens, they use these kind of I wasn't sure really how it worked, but it's kind of like a projection kind of screen mm-hmm. behind it. So like when reflections come off his mirrored helmet, they actually show what the surrounding things are. And it's kind of a newer technology. So a lot of filmmaking, they've stayed away from like mirrored objects and main characters and whatnot. But because of this, they were able to have more of a shiny mirrored helmet for the Mandalorian. Very cool. All right. So let's run through each of the episodes from season one. um, And then we'll talk a little bit more about them. Um, Just going to kind of read the synopsis, um, an expanded synopsis, um, giving you the full picture of each episode, maybe add a little bit more detail of our kind of perspective on each episode, some background as the characters, maybe some Easter eggs that you might not have noticed. So here we go. Uh, Season one, chapter one is called The Mandalorian. It's directed by Dave Filoni and written by John Favreau. It falls five years after the fall of the Galactic Empire. Um, A Mandalorian bounty hunter hands his latest bounty off to Grief Karga. Then he accepts an under-the-table commission on the outpost world of Navarro. From a client, which appears to have some imperial connections, Um, who's directing him to track down and capture this unnamed, unidentified 50-year-old target. That's all you learn. Um, While the client is indifferent to the target's well-being, there's a colleague, a doctor, that kind of insists that the target be brought back alive. The Mandalorian is giving a down payment um, of a single bar of Beskar steel, which is sacred to his people and very rare in the galaxy. Um, He takes it to a covert Mandalorian enclave where an armorer uses it to make him a paladron. Arriving at the planet um, of the target's last reported location using the tracker beacon, 
Tracking fob. Tracking fob, thank you. Uh, The Mandalorian is aided by a vapor farmer named Quill. Tired of the chaos of the bounty hunters coming to the area, Quill leads um, him to the target's location and departs. Also kind of in the midst of that, teaching him some valuable things, kind of lessons about himself, Mm -hmm. imparting some wisdom. Um, Entering this kind of remote, heavily defended encampment, the Mandalorian teams up reluctantly um, with a bounty hunting droid, IG-11, which we say reluctantly because there's this underlying current through the episode that he's not too fond of droids. Um, They clear the camp together and find the quarry, a child that is miraculously revealed at the end with this... um, very familiar scene, um, kind of reminds you of E.T. in a way, mm-hmm. kind of some of those nods. Um, and when IG-11 attempts to kill the infant um, or the child, um, the bounty hunter, the Mandalorian, shoots and destroys the droid, taking the child alive. Yes. So. Okay, so to go back just a little bit and kind of reiterate some things that were just overlaid. First off, uh the Mandalorian typically gets his bounties through the bounty hunter's guilt, which they give him a tracking fob and I believe usually it's a, a description or yeah, a visual. Yes, mm-hmm. a puff, which usually has a like hologram description of what the target looks like. Mm-hmm. But for this job, they could only give him a tracking fob, no puck, and the last four digits of the chain code, which is the child's age, which is 50. And that's basically how the bounty hunt. Bounty Hunters Guild works. So this was kind of like an uncharted territory for the Mandalorian. So it's kind of like backwater underworld kind of job. Obviously, the Empire was destroyed. So that's the only way they would be able to operate. Um, And then also, like she was saying, like they kind of overlaid that he does not like droids. So he was on a planet picking up his first bounty at the very beginning of the episode. And he had the option to get in a cruiser to be escorted to a ship by a very, like, high-tech newer one, but it was piloted by a droid. He said no. A beater cruiser shows up smoking, but it's piloted by a human. So he gets in, goes to a ship. And, yeah, you just kind of see tones of that throughout the series that he is reluctant to kind of be in company with droids or have them work on his ship or anything like that. Right. And miraculously, last year, if you didn't follow um, the release of this as quite as um, cult-like as we did, (laughs) um, the child's reveal was kept entirely secret, which um, if you're not a hardcore kind of Star Wars nerd like we are, like you never see that happen. Stuff is leaked all the time. Like there are fans everywhere. Um, who there are fans that work um, on these sets and and in these places and you never um, don't see spoilers. So for the movie releases, anything that we've seen in recent times, you know, there are spoilers out there everywhere and you kind of have to guard against that if you don't want to um, have something spoiled for you. And none of this was out there anywhere. And we're in a lot of like groups and, nothing like a a child from this Yoda species 
No way. We that would have been everywhere, and it was so secret. It was it was a miracle um, that that reveal did happen until the episode aired. Um, and of course, um, it it has taken the world by storm, and you see like the memes everywhere, and um, you know people's hearts just melting. He's really uh, this character's brought a gazillion new fans oh, into yeah. the Star Wars universe that never would have thought that they enjoyed Star Wars. And this series, just in that first episode, immediately has won over um, a ton of new fans just because of that cute little yeah, adorable baby. <laughs> Look at that. And I think a big part of that is the way they kind of made this series. It wasn't like you had to have a bunch of background on any of the characters because this is a new series. You don't Mm -hmm. have to know about the Mandalorians and their whole history. You don't have to know about baby Yoda or sorry, the child and like his kind Yoda, Yaddle. You don't have to know about like all their history through Star Wars. You just can kind of follow the story. And, you know, on top of it, there's an adorable little child. So Mm -hmm. a lot more fan base is kind of piled on and watch the series, I think, compared to any of the movies or, you know, animated series or books or anything like that. Right, right. Um, You know, this first episode also, I think it went eight minutes without any dialogue Mm -hmm. from The Mandalorian or something outrageous like that, where you see very limited, even throughout later episodes, very limited um, dialogue uh, from the main character. Like mm-hmm. that's also a very risky move um, that paid off so well, thanks to the actors um, and the stuntmen that help kind of physically embody um, the nature of this character in a way I don't think we've seen in a lot of. Uh, you no, know. a lot of them rely heavily on like dialogue and whatnot, but he does, he's a man of few words. He says something when it needs to be said and you can kind of, see how his emotions are like unfolding underneath the mask by his body language and like tone of voice and whatnot. But I think they executed that extremely well. And I mean, you can kind of pick up during the first episode when he's picking up that first bounty, his very chatty guy. So, you know, his little gestures here and there kind of really show what he thinks of the whole situation. And then I wanted to bring up in the first episode his first bounty, he encases them in carbonite, oh, yeah. which yeah. was something that was a bit of a throwback from the original movies where uh, Darth Vader encases Han Solo in carbonite and the bounty hunter Boba Fett is like, well, what if it kills my bounty? I need my bounty money, blah, blah, blah. So they give it a try. It works. And then Darth Vader's plan was later to freeze Luke in carbonite for transport to Lord Sidious. But now it's kind of become a commonplace thing for bounty hunters, as far as we can tell, to just encase their bounties Mm -hmm. in carbonite for transport so they can probably transport more bounties at a single time. Yeah. Another interesting kind of tie in there is Quill is an Ugnaught who are also the um, race that you see in Cloud City that operate that uh, carbonite kind of contraption. Mm -hmm. So little tie-ins everywhere to the original movies um, that we love to see. And, you know, those of us that love to like pick out and analyze all that stuff, we're like, oh, that's a cool little nod. Oh, that's a sweet Easter egg, you know, so. Oh, another little nod is Quill. He rides those species called the Blurg. And they first appear in the series, The Clone Wars. It's kind of the Twi'leks' main mode of transport. They ride them around their 
uh, planet and whatnot. So I was kind of curious if that might have been the Twi'leks homeworld because Blurgs seem to just be running around all over the place. Yeah. That could be in. There's quite a few planets, though, that have Blurgs. Yeah. Um, You also see them in um, (laughs) the original unspoken Christmas special. where a certain Mandalorian is writing one as well. So that was also kind Mm -hmm. of a nod to this really stupid, um, but weirdly endearing Christmas special. Yeah, Um, wasn't his uh, blaster kind of similar to one in that special Yes, that was another, yeah, Easter egg to that. So anyways, so moving (laughs) on, because we could talk just episode one apparently all day. (laughs) (laughs) Or chapter one, I should say. All right, so chapter two is called The Child. Um, and I'm going to totally butcher the director's name, Rick. Oh, man. I I should have practiced this again like a hundred times. Fam- Famua? Famua? Fam- Famua? Oh, I, I can hear it being said in my head, but I can't get my face to form the word. Um, amazing director, though. He's coming back for uh, season two. Uh I'll get it. I promise one of these days. Um, It took me forever just to get Favreau, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So written by John Favreau. Uh, So while returning to his ship, um, the child and the Mandalorian fight and kill a group of rival bounty hunters who try to ambush them. Um, Nearing his ship, he finds it being stripped by Jawas for parts. Um, and violently confronts them. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, because that was also a little bit of a, ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, when he tries to attack their sand crawler, the Jawas stun him and drop him from the roof. The following day, Quill helps him locate the Jawas and negotiate for the return of his ship components. The Mandalorian agrees to retrieve um, the egg of the Mudhorn in exchange for the stolen parts. He enters the Mudhorn cave, only to be hurled out by the angry beast. Um, which then repeatedly attacks him, damaging his armor. And as the Mudhorn is about to rush in for the kill, the child uses the force to levitate the beast, um, allowing the surprised Mandalorian to stab and kill it. He then collects the egg and takes it to the Jawas, who crack it open right there and just slurp its yellow insides. Uh, with the trade complete, the Mandalorian and Quill work together to repair the ship, allowing the Mandalorian to leave the planet with the child. So a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yes. All right. So I guess we'll start off with the Mandalorian returning to his ship. You see him kind of walking down kind of a cavern type thing. He kind of stops in his tracks for a split second, and then he's ambushed by some other bounty hunters that clearly got the same tracking fob he did to locate the child. Uh, You know, epic fight. Fights off, like, what was it, three or four? Mm-hmm. Three or four. Uh, saves the child. Then he's injured in that battle. And he's sitting there, kind of more towards dust, kind of cartelizing his wound with some kind of tool. Mm-hmm. And you see the child get out of his little egg pod and walk over to him. He picks him up, puts him back in, gets out again, comes towards him, kind of reaches his hand out, which, you know, we'll come back to in a later episode. And, you know, puts him back in. Then they move on. And then, you know, they near the ship and he kind of looks over the bank, sees the Jawas <laughs> just tearing apart his ship, taking out everything they can, which is kind of typical Jawa behavior. Yeah, yeah. You find an abandoned vehicle. I mean, you're going to recycle it for parts. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> totally natural. 
But the Mandalorian is not too happy about that. No. And disintegrates them. A few of them. <laughs> in mass, right? Like, it's pretty jarring for... He disintegrates um, one of the bounty hunters in the canyon. Yes. Right? So that's the first time we saw him use that rifle? Or did we see that in the corral kind um, of episode The two? only time you saw was when he was escaping with his first bounty off of that ice world. And he kind of electrocutes that large beast yeah. that comes out of the ice. That's but the first time you've seen him. You didn't say the disintegration part. No, it which, was a different feature yeah. of the gun. Yeah. So very cool to see that in live action. Mm-hmm. Like you've seen that in, you know, animated stuff, but not in a live action moment. So that was very cool. Um, but Jawas, for most of us, are kind of an endearing little creature in the Star mm-hmm. Wars universe. And you all of a sudden see this guy just rain fire on them. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> that is really violent feeling, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, the poor little Jawas. They're just trying to make a living, right? Yeah. Um, so he goes after them, tries to battle their their rig to get at them. and Yeah, and those who haven't successful. seen maybe the first season for whatever reason, it's a very large kind of tank-like structure where they use like kind of the spinning wheels. But yeah, he tried to scale the side of it as yeah. they threw things at him. Yeah. When he finally got to the top, there were many Jawas and they all kind of shot him with their blasters and electrocuted him Mm -hmm. like coming back to an earlier uh, movie where they did the same thing to R2-D2. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, Quill helps him uh, go and negotiate. Originally, he's just going to go to war with them. Right. (laughs) Um, And Quill's like, no, 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 man, they're peaceful creatures. Like, let's see what we can work out. So he goes and kind of interprets. This is where we hear the Mandalorian to try to speak a little Jawa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Jawas talk back to him, like telling him he sounds like a Wookiee. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of cool too. Um, but he just speaks like a very broken, you could tell Jawa to them. Um, so they end up negotiating uh, for this egg. Um, mm. What? Suka. Yeah, Suka. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cute. So yeah. he doesn't know necessarily what he's going to, to see or find when he goes to retrieve this egg, but it's a huge elephant rhinoceros type beast thing with a huge horn um just kind of beats beats him up like none of his weapons are effective against him yes basically makes his armor kind of useless at that point what was the quote from the next episode where uh has lost its integrity yeah so he gets beat up pretty bad and uh yeah then as the uh, Mudhorn is kind of rearing its hoofs to kind of charge the Mandalorian as he's on the ground. Uh, he starts charging, and then all of a sudden, it starts levitating in the air. The Mandalorian is kind of shocked, looks over at the child, kind of sees him, sees him straining with his hand in the air, pointed at the beast, and then the Mandalorian stabs the beast and kills it with the help of the child. Yeah, and kind of talks to Quill a little bit about it at some point off of camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see just a few lines kind of recapping where Quill's like, tell me again what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, and the Mandalorian is like, man, I don't really know. Like, I, you know, he's never seen anything like this. Quill's obviously never heard anything like this. Um, you know, this kind of use of the force. So this is the first time you see that perhaps, you know, that the child has some kind of force ability just like Yoda um, from the uh, movies. So again, I maybe just glossed over it super quickly before, but the child as um, official um, 
named Mm -hmm. right through the series is known as the child doesn't have a name. Um, But before we get that kind of um, or the kid Mandalorian calls him the kid Mm -hmm. in a later episode before we end up with those things to call him, um, you know, after that first episode came out, the internet and all the fans immediately just started calling him baby Yoda, (laughs) right? Because it was a baby of Yoda's species, but we don't know what Yoda's species is called. It's an unnamed species because they're so rare. Um, the child's only the third that we've known of in yeah. canon. Yeah, in canon, we've only seen three. Yoda, obviously, and then Yaddle, which was also a member of the Jedi Council during one of the movies. You only see her episode one. for a moment. Yeah, episode one for a moment. So all we know of them is there's three of them, and they're all strong force users, clearly. Mm-hmm. So we don't know a lot about yeah. their species. And Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, the Jedi in episode one, um, where he's testing Anakin Skywalker for the Metachlorians. It's kind of mentioned that they've never seen a Metachlorian count so high, except for Master Yoda. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently this seems to be like an endowment of that species, whatever it is. So anyways, we fans... Um, just immediately kind of nicknamed him Baby Yoda. This is not actually Yoda as a baby. Not Yoda. Uh, Yoda's long dead, ancient, 800-year-old, passed away um, Yoda. This is not reincarnated Yoda. We kind of speculated in the beginning that maybe it could have been a clone of Yoda because the emperor was doing a lot of cloning and stuff as we see um, in the movies. You can see that clearly in episode nine that the emperor has dabbled in some cloning. And yeah. if the child was a, something to do with the empire, clearly because the empire was after them, it could correlate. But yeah. these are all specul- speculations. Yeah. Yeah. So at first we were like, oh, it's a clone or whatever. Maybe they want it to get material to clone, mm-hmm. um, to use it in what we see later is the puppet empire emperor clone in the movies. Mm-hmm. Like there's all kinds of things happening in the background here. That may be a tribute to why the child is so heavily sought after. Uh, We don't really know. It's not been confirmed, um, you know, what exactly is happening here. Yes. But we know it's a force user. It's a strong force user Mm -hmm. considering its age and its lack of training. Um, So it saves the Mandalorian. They repair the ship um, and appears to leave the planet with the child. um, With the idea, it appears to return it. As to the client. To the client. But you see this cute little moment, isn't it, in the end of this episode where... Yes, I believe it's either in the end of this episode or the beginning of the next episode where the child kind of reaches up for a little knob on the Mandalorian ship and starts trying to unscrew it and play, play with, with it because it. it's a little ball. Mm-hmm. And he's like, give that back. Yeah. <laughs> go, go back to your bed. <laughs> All right. So chapter three is called The Sin. Uh, directed by Deborah Chow, written by John Favreau. Um, the Mandalorian delivers the child to the client on Navarro and collects the bounty of 20 bars of Baskar steel. Baskar. Or, sorry, Baskar. Um, noted in this episode, a little Easter egg, um, it is kept in a... Um, Oh, it wasn't it meant a, to write it down? It was like an upscaled. Uh, the name of the. Of course, I can't find it. I, I thought I wrote it down. Um, the safe that the best car steel comes in. Um, 
is actually an ice cream maker. Yeah, an from ice cream maker. the late <laughs> 70s, early 80s. Um, that was commonplace on people's kitchen counters. Um, that was something, um, it was in the scene in uh, Cloud City where they're evacuating and you see a random character run by carrying this awkward contraption. And it's been like one of those odd little scenes that fans pick up and then just roll with. Um, Will Ruff or something. Oh, gosh. I'm such a bad fan right now. I should have wrote it down. Um, there's like a, a thing at Celebration where a bunch of people dress up as him and, and have the old ice cream makers and run. Mm-hmm. It's the running of the <laughs> Will Ruffs or whatever his name is. Oh, my gosh. I feel horrible. I'm such a bad fan right now. Um, What is the name of that thing? Ah, oh. anyways, we never really knew what it was, right? It never had a purpose. We never knew what that thing was um, until this episode or this chapter where you see it's some kind of safe. So it would make sense why he would grab it and want to leave the empire. Um, there's uh, this idea of a backstory that he was secreting away um, secret communications for the rebels or something in that device, but... Okay, so I didn't even get through the whole synopsis and got sidetracked. That's typical. (laughs) (laughs) So uncharacteristically, uh, the Mandalorian asks about the client's plans for the child, um, but is told that it's none of his concern. He leaves before conflict arises, returning to the Mandalorian enclave that we saw in chapter one. The Mandalorian has damaged his armor um, and needs to replace weapons. and the armorer forges him a full cuirass, that's how you say it, from most of the Beskar steel, while the remainder goes to support Mandalorian foundling children. Um, you also see the other people from his kind of clan um, yes, or enclave Mandalorians. kind of gather around mm-hmm. and are really taken aback by the amount um, of Beskar that he earned and kind of comment kind of ridiculing him a little bit about the fact that it's from the empire and, you know, them being reminded by the armor, the empire's dead. There's a little bit of a tussle in there, right? You can tell it's kind of like this family rivalry thing perhaps happening. Well, it's kind of a soft spot for the Mandalorians because during the reign of the empire, there was an attack on the Mandalorians where many of their Beskar was stolen and it forced them underground. And that's why a lot of Mandalorians now live in these kind of underground hideouts and, only come out one at a time and kind of hide their numbers. Yeah, right. So um, we also get a little bit of a backstory for the Mandalorian here. Um, he has kind of some flashback moments while his armor is being built um, to him as a child um, and running from uh, like a battle with his family and they secret him away in some kind of bunker um, and his parents are killed uh, we see this uh, moment of a droid, like a, a droid from the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the name of them. Uh, about to kill him, basically. And then that's all we see in that moment. We see a little bit more later. Um, but then this episode, it kind of cuts off right there. Um, so the Mandalorian then goes and accepts a new job um, from Grief Karga and prepares his ship to depart, feeling guilty for abandoning the child. Um, or what we assume is guilt. He has kind of this moment of struggle in his ship as he's getting ready to leave, where he sees the little knob setting off to the side that the child had played with. 
And he kind of glances over at it and has, again, no words, right? He's fully in his helmet. We don't see him take off his helmet only once through this whole um, season. Um, but you can visually see it in his body language, his struggle with his morality at this moment of leaving the child in this unknown peril. Yes. And, you know, the Mandalorians don't have the best relationship with the Empire. His family was killed by the Empire. So he's probably kind of having some flashbacks and feeling remorse for leaving a child with the Empire because of how many different people and children were treated during the Empire's reign. So, yeah. So he decides to return uh, for the child, goes back um, killing a lot of stormtroopers, rescues the child from Dr. Pershing's laboratory. Um, where it's being somehow experimented on or something tested. Um, For some reason, chooses not to kill the doctor. Um, On the way back to his ship, though, the Mandalorian is then ambushed by other bounty hunters. You see all of their tracking fobs start pinging all over the town. Um, And he, I don't know, 20, 30 bounty hunters come after him. Like pretty much every bounty hunter on that planet all of a sudden is there hunting him again. And the child. So this big fight breaks out. He's definitely outnumbered. Very okay corral style Western here where it seems like all is lost. Um, And all of a sudden, the other Mandalorians arrive. And there's these moments where you've heard um, in the dialogue that Mandalorians are rare now, right? Because they're all in hiding. So really, they only allow one Mandalorian out of the enclave to do business at a time, it seems. So they're trying to disguise their numbers. Um, and so it's a big deal. The whole enclave shows up to rescue him in essence, right? Him and the child. Um, you see them in their uh, jetpack glory um, that we saw from the Clone Wars and Rebels where they have these cool jetpacks and um, from the original trilogy where Django or Boba Fett has the jetpack. Django Fett had it in the arena scene. Yeah. Um, so it's been kind of one of those components kind of, of a Mandalorian throughout all of the previous content, but we hadn't seen, um, that our Mandalorian Din Djarin had that yet. Yeah. And he kind of makes this comment as one of his, um, cohorts is flying out with his ship to protect him. They do this kind of nod thing. He, he comments that I need to get one, get myself one of those. So, (laughs) um, hopefully we'll see him get one of those in. We do. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait. Right, right, right. Right, right, Okay, so right. to kind of reiterate a few things there, is there anything you wanted to go over from that? Um, oh, going back just a smidge to the armor. Okay. Um, female, obviously. Yeah. The leader of the covert there. Um, Up until this point, we haven't really seen a title character, a a major character that's female in this series yet. Um, Which, you know, as female fans, we look for those things because, um, you know, we want to see ourselves in these these shows, in these movies, in the Star Wars world. Um, And strong lead female characters. Um, So the armorer is that right. She's the leader of of the enclave. She imparts the wisdom. Mm -hmm. Um, She kind of holds the sacred teachings of their people. Yes. Because working with uh, 
Beskar is actually a very difficult trade and profession. It's been passed down through the Mandalorians, through the generations. A lot of people have tried to mimic their styles and have failed. So, you know, it's a very sought after kind of knowledgeable thing that she can do. So obviously, you know, they're not that, uh, what's the word? Not that commonplace anymore. So mm-hmm. finding yourself an armor is probably very difficult if yeah. you're a Mandalorian. Yeah. So they're very cherished. Um, there's, uh, I think this is the first time, maybe the second time we hear the famous quote from the series. This is the way mm-hmm. um, when they're talking about the fanlings and how, you know, he's donating a lot of his profits to the foundlings because they are the future. This also plays in to probably his second thoughts about leaving the child. Yeah. Um, since the children are the future. Um, the armor also asks him about a um, signet. A signet. And, you know, he mentions the mudhorn having damaged his armor, but that it wasn't a clean kill. It wasn't a clean kill because he was helped by an enemy. The armor then asks, well, why would an em- enemy help you in battle? He says, it didn't know it was my enemy. Yeah. Speaking of the child, obviously. So then we see this come up again later um, in a very sweet and endearing way. Mm-hmm. Um, also an interesting kind of throwback line, Grief Karga uh, says to the Mandalorian, I'm your only hope. Kind of a throwback yeah. to when he's you know, cornered, all the bounty hunters are around him and Grief Karga is obviously the leader of the Bounty Hunters Guild. So he says that line, which is kind of a throwback. I'm your only hope. And, you know, well, we won. You're my only hope. So those kind of lines with the word hope, there's quite a few that kind of string throughout all um, Star Wars universe stuff that we get. So that was kind of those cool little nods um, are fun. Um, What else? They are um, already... 37 minutes <laughs> and we only just finished uh, chapter three. Okay. Well, let's move on to chapter four. <laughs> Long winded we are. I knew this was going to happen. Okay. Chapter four, Sanctuary. This one was very sweet. Directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, um, written by John Favreau. She had a spectacular job um, directing this episode. This was one of those more um, emotional growth kind of character development episodes. There's definitely still the action happening, but um, you know, it was really about the emotion of the situation and she did a spectacular job of um, getting those shots right to and evoking that kind of um, stuff from the characters. So arriving on the sparsely populated forest planet of Sorgan, the Mandalorian encounters ex-rebel shock trooper turned mercenary Cara Dune. Following a uh, short, or Cara Dune, Cara. sorry. Following a short brawl, Dune explains that she is hiding after taking an early retirement and ask the Mandalorian to leave. Um, they kind of have a little tussle, yeah. a little wrestling match of sorts. But, you know, I mean, they're going at it. But I think they're just testing each other's kind of merit in a way. Um, and you all of a sudden, this is one of the best, like, shots of the child. You know, it's all over where he's mm-hmm. sipping his little sipping his little soup. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they're wrestling and they get each other, like, in kind of a... a Dual standoff situation. Standoff situation. And you hear this little sip sip and it turns to the child and he's just like watching them like it's a soap opera, sipping his little <laughs> cocoa or sipping his little soup. So uh, the meme world went nuts. Yeah. I believe it was a bone broth. Bone broth. Thank you. <laughs> soup. Whatever. <laughs> uh, so while uh, the Mandalorian prepares his ship 
two desperate fishermen approach, um, offering to hire him to drive off um, some raiders at their village. And they kind of mention that it's a remote village. And so he's kind of looking for a place to hide out for a while. It sounds great. You can earn a little money and hide out. I think he cared more about the hiding out because didn't he give yeah. the entire sack of credits to Kara? Yeah. Kara? Kara. Kara. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, full name's Kara Cynthia Dune. Uh, so he goes to get her help. Um, they kind of team up, go visit, uh, this village and are housed by a widow mother, Omara. Uh, the Mandalorian confines in her that no one has seen him without his helmet since childhood. Like this is kind of a pretty big moment, um, in man, the new kind of Mandalore lore, Mm -hmm. because this hasn't happened in any previous, um, information about what we know about the Mandalorians. So this is kind of new. Mandalorians have taken off their helmets. Every other character that we've known pretty much. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of news. We we're starting to be suspicious because he doesn't ever take it off, not even to eat or drink around others. Um, and then confirms that this is something that he uh, has not done since a child when the tribe took him in as an orphan um, during his tussle with his enclave brother you know, it's kind of confirmed that that's a stature thing within the clan. That this is the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so despite discovering that the Raiders have an old Imperial, a, a, old Imperial, excuse me, ATST, um, and pretty much telling the villagers that, hey, we're no match against this. Like, you know, we need a whole army. The villagers refuse to leave um, and they decide to train them to defend themselves. They provoke the raiders at night, setting a trap to lure the ATST, um, and then blow it up, forcing the remaining uh, raiders to flee. With peace restored, the Mandalorian plans to leave the child in the village because it's developed some relationships with the children um, and the widowed mother that he had also kind of developed some sort of relationship with. Um, but uh, a bounty hunter tracks down the child and is thankfully killed by doom just in the nick of time, realizing that neither the village nor the child would be safe. The Mandalorian departs with the child. Anything to add about that episode? Um, I think when the Mandalorian first arrives on the planet and first sees Cara Dune, that he kind of suspects that she's a bounty hunter at first. And then he asks the waitress or whatever, uh, how long has she been here? She says like a few weeks, I believe. Mm-hmm. So then he probably lowers his suspicions. But then when he turns back towards her, she was gone. So he followed her outside. And then, you know, a little brawl ensued. Yeah. And then there's that spot where you see another nod Easter egg in the cantina when he's walking through. Baby Yoda sees oh, the yeah. loth cat. Loth cat. Loth like cat, it's the you. thing that kind of screeches at him when he's walking along the floor. All cute. Like, yeah, that was a nod to uh, Rebels. Uh, there's a uh, Loth Cats on Lothal, which is one of the main planets of the Rebel series. Yeah. Um, great physical stunt work in that episode. Um, you learn that uh, Cara Dune is um, Alderanian, so she has this big grudge against the Empire. Mm-hmm. So anytime that she gets to stick it to the man, so to speak, uh, she's going to be in. Yeah. 
she basically says that she was in the war to fight. And once it kind of fizzled out and the empire was destroyed, that she didn't want to be personal security. So she took an early retirement. Yeah. Cause she was all about killing, uh, killing empire yes, as, but- as payback for destroying her planet. So, mm-hmm. um, and shock troopers, you know, were known to be pretty badass. Um, all right. Okay. Uh, chapter five is called The Gunslinger, uh, directed by Dave Filoni, written by Dave Filoni. The Mandalorian defeats a pursuing bounty hunter in a dogfight um, on his ship. Um, he then lands his damaged ship at a nearby repair dock and runs into this mechanic um, in Mos Eisley on Tatooine. So again, mm-hmm. little throwbacks here. Tatooine. We know that planet well. Um, he seeks work in a cantina. Uh, to pay for the repairs, meeting an apprising bounty hunter, uh, aspiring, sorry, bounty mm-hmm. hunter, who is tracking an elite mercenary and assassin known as Fennec Shand. Um, needs to catch Shand to kind of use it as his ticket to get into the guild. And the Mandalorian, of course, has already heard of Shand and knows he's outmatched. Um, but I think the lure of the money, he needs credits. To repair um, a ship that was damaged in the gunfight before he yeah. landed on the planet. Yep. Um, so he offers to let him keep the money if he trains him and helps him. Um, they capture Shan in the desert, um, but she destroys one of their speeder bikes. So the Mandalorian, uh, so the Mandalorian goes to get a back, which again we see in the original movies on Tatooine. Um, they get that for transportation. Um, while Calican, which is the newbie bounty hunter, watches Shan, she tells him that the Mandalorian has betrayed the guild and has the largest bounty on his head and that she wants to team up with him. Um, Shan offers to help if he sets her free, but he decides to shoot her instead because she's just given him the golden ticket, basically. Um, if he brings in the Mandalorian, um, he's in for sure. Um, so the Mandalorian um, goes back to supposedly get a ship or the speeder bike repaired. Um, when he comes back, he finds Shan dead mm-hmm. um, and the other guy gone. So he races back um, and finds that he's taken the child hostage. And the mechanic. And the mechanic. Battle happens. Uh, the mechanic comes over and starts to cuff him and then says, yeah, you're smarter than you look. And then he lights a flare off or something and yeah. stuns mm-hmm. the guy and disappears and then shoots him. Yeah. Um, so he uses that money to pay for those repairs, leaving Tatooine. Um, and then it kind of closes with you seeing Shan's body out in the desert with a mysterious figure approaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you just kind of see a cape billowing and some boots. And this kind of background um, kind of jingle that Mm kind of goes along with um, what you hear from Mandalorians and they kind of walk like a spurs kind of sound. Yeah. Um, And that mechanic, by the way, was kind of a motherly figure, took care of the child, protected, um, cared for it. Yeah. I think one of the cool scenes to bring up is, isn't it when he's, is it when he's going into the cantina or leaving the like auto body shop area, the dock that you see all the stormtrooper helmets on stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like just lingers on that image for a moment to kind of 
set the tone for the space that he's entering, that they're not fans, obviously, of the Empire. Mm -hmm. Um, Same cantina that we see in A New Hope. Mm -hmm. Um, The table even uh, where the young bounty hunter is sitting. He's got his feet up on the table, Mm cross-legged, just like Han Solo. So great little, again, cool little nods to the way things are shot or scenes are set to previous um, Star Wars content. Uh, okay. Um, and there is speculation that we'll see Shand again, that she wasn't really killed. Mm-hmm. So might've you know. been her, one of her cohorts. Mm-hmm. From certain bounty mm-hmm. hunter. Yeah. That might be mm-hmm. Mandalorian. We'll, we'll talk about that. Next. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, chapter six, it's called the prisoner. Uh, again, Rick Famua, Fam, Famua, Famua? Oh, God, I feel freaking, excuse me. Uh, Anyways, stories by Christopher Yost. Um, the Mandalorian contacts his former partner, Ran Malik, for work. Uh, seems like maybe they had a relationship many moons ago, did some jobs together. Ran welcomes him to his space station and informs the Mandalorian that he needs his ship for a five-man job. He is joined by an ex-imperial sharpshooter, Mayfield, a Deveronian strongman, Berg, and a droid pilot, Q90, and a Twi'lek knife expert. Uh, tell me how to say her name again. Zion, uh, Zian, Zian. Oh, gosh. Zian? Is it now Zian? Zian, I think. Yeah. And her brother, Quinn, mm-hmm. um, a prisoner of the New Republic. After infiltrating the prison ship, they fight through security droids and make it to the control room where the ship's security chief triggers a security beacon before being killed. The crew rescues Quinn, but double crosses the Mandalorian. He escapes and defeats each crew member, then captures Quinn. Uh, the droid finds the child after deciphering an archive transmission from Grief Karga, but is shot by the Mandalorian before he can harm him. Uh, the Mandalorian delivers Quinn to Ran on the space station and departs with his payment. Ran immediately moves to launch a fighter to kill the Mandalorian, but discovers the New Republic beacon had been placed on Quinn, leading a trio of X-Wings to Ran's station where they attack. In the final scene, Mayfield, Berg, and Zion are revealed to be locked in a cell on the prison transport, having been spared by the Mandalorian. Okay, so... Obviously, the Mandalorian was looking for some work kind of under the table. And uh, he hit up some old buddies to get a job done. Again, he keeps then, getting money and then immediately having to turn it over to mm-hmm. pay bills, basically. Yeah, right? Pretty so. much. Running on films. Yes, exactly. And then, let's see, what else is a good So, you know, this was part of his old crew, at least mm-hmm. most of them. There's a history. Yeah, the Twi'leks and the older gentleman, but it seems like the... Ex Imperial sh- Mayfield, uh, yeah, my- Mayfield used to be a Mayfield. sharpshooter. And the Mayfield, Mayfield, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they weren't part of his old crew because they mm-hmm. didn't seem to know him. And yeah. then they said that they would also need a ship. He said that wasn't part of the deal, but it ended up becoming part of the deal. And then the droid uh, ended up piloting it, which he was very unhappy about. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons, kind of laying that tone of he doesn't like droids or care for them at all. Mm-hmm. Probably a nod to them. flashback mm-hmm. with the droid standing over about to shoot him, which right. we will later come back to at a previous next episode or yeah, episode in the future. And then, um, so 
was I going to say about this? Oh, so on the security ship, uh, the lone human that they find in the control room. Um, this is kind of a cameo appearance <laughs> from Clone Wars. It was the voice actor for Anakin Skywalker, um, who plays that crew member. Um, and then at the end with the X-Wings, um, they're all piloted by directors of the show. Um, Filoni, Deborah Chow, and uh, what was the third one? Rick. Yes. The one I can't pronounce his name. So sorry. I'm horrible. Horrible human. Um, <laughs> um, I think one thing could mention is... What's that species with the horns? That's part the of Deveron- the De- Deveroni. Deveroni. Yeah. Devil Deveronian. Yeah. Deveronian. So you see them all locked up in a cell at the very end of the episode, basically telling you the Mandalorian didn't kill them. He just imprisoned them. And you see him kind of holding his horns and they're cut off. And you see in the rebel series, there's a Deveronian that has one horn missing. And it's basically like a shame a shame in mm-hmm. their people. So the Mandalorian cut off his horns to shame him. Yeah. Cause they were kind of giving him crap. Well, you kind the of the whole episode, you kind like of saw that they were planning on double crossing him mm-hmm. from the very beginning. I mean, just when those droids came up, mm-hmm. they didn't help him defeat them. They just kind of stood there and watched. Yeah. So it's kind of a tone throughout the episode that they were going to double cross him. Yeah. yeah. And that they were kind of testing his merit the whole time. Yeah. Um, but there's some very cool scenes where he's like stealthily stalking them in the ship mm-hmm. once he figures out they've double crossed him. Um, yeah. So some very cool bits there. Um, and some clever ways that he knows to kill droids, which, um, yeah. you know, is not easy. It's very challenging. And yeah. he's he's got some tricks to do those things. Um, oh, and babies then- kind of just playing around on the ship, teasing yeah. the droid. And then the very end of the episode that I have to bring this up when. The Mandalorian shoots the droid, but right before that happens, the child kind of reaches up his hand like he's going to use the force to destroy the droid somehow or disable it. And then the Mandalorian shoots him at that time. And the child kind of looks down at his hand like, oh, did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about Oh, so there is some dialogue there between the Twi'lek and him um, about that they may have had some kind of affair previously mm-hmm. and talk again about how he never removes his helmet that no human scene or, you know, no person. Yeah. And then she like uh, the sharpshooter says, have you seen what's under there? And then she's like, a lady never tells. Mm-hmm. And then they make fun of him because they're like, what are you a Gungan? Which is Jar Jar Banks from yeah. episode one. <laughs> Again, using it as a kind of like a taunt or a tease. Yes, so exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's see. Where are we? Chapter seven, The Reckoning, uh, directed again by Deborah Chow, written by John Favreau. The Mandalorian receives a message from Grief Karga, whose town on Navarro has been overrun by ex-Imperial troops led by the client. Karga proposes that the Mandalorian use the child as bait in order to kill the client and free the town. In return, Karga will square things with the guild, which would allow the Mandalorian and the child to live in peace. Sensing a trap, the Mandalorian recruits Cara Dune and Quill to assist him. And Quill brings a rebuilt and reprogrammed IG-11 to protect the child. Um, There's a lot kind of that goes into that little scene. So we'll Mm -hmm. talk about that. 
more in depth. They meet Karga and his associates, but are attacked by flying creatures during the journey to town. Karga is injured, but the child uses the force to heal his wounds. So they're sitting around a campfire after kind of the battle. Um, and you see a reenactment almost of the original scene where he goes to try to heal the Mandalorian. This time it's Karga. Um, and everybody witnesses this. Yes. And it was kind of a nod to, I believe this episode came out the Thursday before episode nine did. Yes. And then it was kind of like a nod to what Ray later does in that movie. Yeah. And, they released yeah. it early, mm-hmm. um, almost to set the tone for things that you would see uh, force users things happening in the films that maybe hadn't been seen in the cinematic part of the Star Wars universe before. Like it, it had been in other areas, but not in, if you've only just watched the the movies, you might not have realized um, that that is a force ability for light side force users. It yeah. hasn't been. I mean, Obi-Wan kind of talks about it a little bit um, when he was younger um, with Qui-Gon, that whole situation and that, uh, you know, so there's some background there where not every force user has that ability. Um, so anyways, I'm digressing again. Just keep doing that. Um, so in return, Karga kills his associates and confesses that the original plan was to shoot the Mandalorian and take the child to the client. So it was a double cross, but because the child healed him, won over his heart, like it tends to do with everyone it meets. Uh, Karga pretends that Dune has captured the Mandalorian while Quill returns the child to the ship. So they kind of uh, mm-hmm. bring the pod, but not the child. Yes. Yeah, so Dur- you see earlier, I believe it's in this episode where they kind of fortify the pod, make it more sturdy for battle purposes. Uh-huh. So they bring the pod, not the child. Yeah. During the meeting, Moff Gideon's troops open fire on the building um, and the client and his bodyguards trapping the Mandalorian, Karga and Dune inside. Gideon arrives demanding the child um, in the desert. You see two scout troopers intercept the Mandalorian's communications and track Quill, killing him before he reaches the ship and take the child. Whew. Yeah. So this is kind of a uh, crazy part, episode. two part kind of finale. This is the part one of the, the finale of, of season one. Um. So they arrive at the planet. They meet up with, well, they the, Quill. Well, they pick up Quill and them, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's and, where the episode starts. Yeah, so you see the training because the Mandalorian, of course, is like, "Whoa, what are you doing? That's an assassin droid! Like, I killed him. His mission in life is to kill the child." And then Quill kind of explains that he rebuilt the droid, trained him from the ground up, taught him how to do everything from lifting boxes and placing them down to more complex tasks. Yeah. Complete reprogramming. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, of course the Mandalorian is still um, skeptical, but agrees. Um, You know, Quill says I could make him uh, the the nanny, make him a nanny droid for the child. Um, Yeah. So you see a little bit of that. At first, uh, the Mandalorian says, just leave him on the ship, let him protect the ship, and they all leave. And then, as Quill is going back to the ship, he later gets shot by the stormtroopers. And then that's what you see of that in this episode. Yeah. But, you know, Quill also had to bring his blurg, and he brought two of them, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, two of them. And then when they were walking with Moff Gideon, 
some of them get snatched up by creatures those creatures flying, flying creatures. down and which look an awful like lot like those flying creatures that we saw in Clone Wars, um, particularly like the Bad Batch episodes, mm-hmm. right? So just some little That's nods it. there too, yeah. Um, do 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 do. Anything else about that episode? Um, There's- just that Moff Gideon open fired on the client, and I believe they killed him. Mm-hmm. They scene. were all in the yeah. same kind of space. Yeah. So Moff Gideon, obviously a ruthless Imperial guy, yeah. kills his own lackeys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. single-minded focus there. Yeah. All right. So then, chapter eight. This is the finale episode. is called Redemption. Um, directed by Tika Waititi, who also played IG-11 um, and written by John Favreau. So IG-11, you see him kind of in the opening scenes rescuing the child from the stormtroopers. Um, This is the infamous episode where you see those storm scout troopers on the... um, Just sitting there, like with the child. Bantering, talking trash. Mm-hmm. And then boom, boom, they punch the child and people are freaking out all over the world. We're like screaming at the TV yeah. like, oh, my God, you did not just do that. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of some funny moments there. And IG-11 comes and is just like a total badass. Um, kills him, rescues yeah. the child, Gets swoops the child, in. Kind of puts him in his little front pack. He's rotating around, flying on the speeder bike, shooting stormtroopers left and yeah. right. It was just a really cool scene. Yeah, so you still see he's got those assassin moves, mm-hmm. but he's then also nurturing. Yeah. Um, so then Gideon warns uh, Karga, Dune, and the Mandalorian that they will face cer- certain death unless they agree to assist him. IG-11 arrives, breaks the standoff, but Gideon injures the Mandalorian. The child ends up using the force to deflect an attacking stormtrooper's flamethrower back at him. The Mandalorian sends the others through a sewer grate with the child to help find the Mandalorian enclave while IG-11 removes his helmet to tend to his head injuries. So he's pretty beat up, concussed, bleeding, like he's He's, got traumatic brain injury stuff happening and he's probably going to die. Yeah, he's very out of it and he says, just leave me here because if I remove my helmet, I am no longer a Mandalorian. I can never put it back on. And then IG-11 points out, I'm not a person. I'm a droid. Mm -hmm. So you can take your helmet off around me so I can help you. Mm-hmm. So kind of uses a back to spray, which, mm-hmm. you know, is a throwback again to the, those healing waters that Luke uses to regenerate himself. Uh, we see that all through the universe. Yeah, um, so he gives him a little mist. Yeah. Revives him. Um, so we then, see finally the face of Din Jaren in yeah. that moment. Very last episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they go into the sewer grate as well, obviously. Yeah. So joining the others, the Mandalorian finds the covert group of Mandalorians dead or escaped, except for the armor. So all the rest of his brothers are gone, but the armor is still there. Yeah. She- you see like pieces of armor just piled up in stacks. So it's like either they left their armor there or they were killed or something. Yeah. And the armor was collecting the remaining bits of armor to salvage it for her people. Yeah. So she tasks him to care for the foundling child like his own. So she, he kind of goes to her for advice like um, and assistance. She's the only one left. Um, so she says he's a foundling, um, needs his help, um, discover its origin, and return it to its kind. The armorer fashions the Mandalorian his own signet and gives him a jetpack. So this is the moment where 
She figures out that it was the child that helped him Mm -hmm. that saved his life. So she makes them a. And she also brings up that like the Mandalorian talks about the child's abilities. And then she says that there were uh, wizards. What did she Mm -hmm. call them? Wizards. Yeah. Yeah. She says enemy wizards used to use these abilities. Yeah. And force wielders. Yes. And so he says, why should I deliver the child to enemy wizards? Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Um, What else? Oh, so the Signet is, of course, the Mudhorn. And she then kind of hands down that they're now a clan of two. Mm -hmm. So that they are now bonded or bound together in this way. And kind of more on their own than he's been in the past. Yeah. So the group is ferried down an underground lava river um, by kind of this droid powered barge um, when they're ambushed by stormtroopers. IG-11 self-destructs to eliminate the enemy. So we didn't mention this in the first episode or second episode where they team up to rescue the, to get the child. Um, IG-11 in these moments where he feels overwhelmed um, and like all hope is lost, you know, he can't be taken alive. Yes. Um, so he keeps wanting to self-destruct. So it's this whole banter. No, don't self-destruct, you know, like, and it, so he talks about self-destructing like multiple times and the Mandalorian's like, stop, don't do it. Um, so, but this time they realize it's really their only hope. Um, and he cares for the child. Like this is where the Mandalorian sees that perhaps not all droids are bad. Yes. Um, maybe some of them can be good. Um, that maybe IG-11 did change mm-hmm. um, and that he's now going to sacrifice himself for the child, just yes. like we hope the Mandalorian would. Yes. You see him kind of walk through the lava, kind of melting a little bit. And then once he gets out of the cave or the tunnel, mm-hmm. the tunnel to where the stormtroopers are, they all point their blasters at him. And then he, what was the line he said? I forget, but yeah. he self-destructs destroying all the stormtroopers around that area so they could, Make their escape. Yeah. And then Gideon flies in with a TIE fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. the Mandalorian uses a jetpack to bring down the craft. Um, but Moff survives. And you see him cut himself out of the ship with this mysterious weapon. And the Mandalorian leaves with the child while Karga and Dune stay behind. So first, let's start off with the Mandalorian kind of using the jetpack to destroy the... Uh, TIE fighter. So mm-hmm. I think he disables one of the wings or something. Mm-hmm. And then that's how it comes down. And then you see uh, Cara Dune decide to stay on the planet, kind of tidy things up with the remaining Empire's forces. Because like we said earlier, she does not like them very much. Mm-hmm. So, so she decides to do Moff, that. Whatever Moff Gideon brought with him, mm-hmm. her and Karga decide to kind of take care of clean up there. Yeah. And then you see them bury Quill and then, you know, they kind of put his helmet on top of where they buried him. That's kind of a sadder moment. And then I believe it's like the very last scene. You see Moff Gideon use the Darksaber is what it's called to cut a hole in the TIE Fighter and get out. And then that's kind of where you're left. Not a lot of fans know what the Darksaber is, but it's been used in the Clone Wars, the animated series, and Rebels, the animated series. And it kind of has a long history behind it. The first Mandalorian Jedi crafted it, and it's kind of one of a kind. It can like kind of feed off the person wielding its emotions and kind of adjust its length to the wielder, too. So it's kind of a 
it's kind of a unique weapon that's mm-hmm. never been seen before. Like you've seen lightsaber colors, blue, purple, all these colors, but you've never seen a black one. This is the only black one that's known. And it has a little bit different shape even. Mm-hmm. Um, the tip is kind of more angular and it's more like a traditional sword look to it. It's flat, black, but its edges are kind of electrified with that glowing plasma kind of idea. It's uh, It was crafted by Tar Vizla, the very first Jedi, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, the hilt is also kind of more angular and mm-hmm. more traditional sword. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the first time we see it in canon is in the Clone Wars Rebel or Clone Wars series. And wasn't it? Uh, uh, Pre Vizsla, head of Death Watch. Yeah. Pre Vizsla, head of Death Watch, kind of used it in the Mandalorian culture in that time. They were kind of more passive, they weren't like taking sides with anyone in the clone wars so obviously that mandalorian did not really follow those belief systems so he started death watch and kind of fought against the more passive ways of some of the mandalorians Mm -hmm. and not all mandalorians are like fighters like we've seen in most of the movies they're just it's a planet of people but the warriors are known as mandalorian obviously and they wear the best car armor. That's what they're best known for. And their amazing fighting skills. Anyways, a little off track from the dark saber <laughs> there. But uh, you later see it. Well, and, Maul yes. uh, kills Vizsla and yeah. takes it as his own. Um, during the Clone Wars series. During the Clone Wars series. So again, sorry, spoiler. Maul is alive, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maul's alive, yes. Maul's alive. He actually wielded the dark saber for a time. Um, and then you see it appear again in Rebels, mm-hmm. which is years later. Yes. Years later, you see Maul also appear in that show as well. Yeah. But you later see it and Sabine Wren ends up taking it from the Night Sisters, which is kind of this group of force wielders that uses it in an untraditional kind of way for the dark side. But that doesn't really matter in this context. But she takes it from there to unite the House of Wren and all of Mandalore to fight for the Rebels. Then later, she decides to give it to a Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan to kind of, she decides that she deserves to lead the Mandalorian. That so was that's... sister to Sabine, no, uh, uh, Satine, mm-hmm. um, yes. who was the ruler of the Mandalorian people before Maul killed her. Yes. Um, she was so... more of the pacifist one that we were talking about earlier that kind of led the Mandalorian people in that direction. Yeah, to be, instead of known as like a warrior people, um, to be for a time uh, just a peaceful planet uh, trying to just get by in the galaxy. Um, but still, you know, we see that the Mandalorians are known for their warrior spirit um, yes. in this series. So, so yes. seeing the dark saber reappear the last time you'd seen it um, again was in rebels and it was in Bo-Katan's hands, a Mandalorian that then led the Mandalorian people. So from there, right? Yeah. So uh, anything else before we dive down that little direction into speculation of the future? I don't. Um, the Oh, the, the, one oh, thing. Moff, Death Troopers, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Moff Gideon knew the Mandalorian's name. So that Ginger, was kind of it. Yeah. yeah. He kind of knew his name. So we kind of think that he was part of the Imperial attack that happened on Mandalore. And that's where the Imperials got a lot of the best scar and whatnot when they attacked yeah. their planet. Yeah. He seems to have a lot of knowledge. That's mm-hmm. when we hear his name. He also knows a lot about Kara. 
And then um, he also has the Darksaber, which was last on Mandalore. So Yeah, a lot of interesting things happening yeah. with that guy. Um, let's see, the signet, we talked about that. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the future. So two weeks from now, October 30th, we will get chapter nine of season two. We'll have 10 um, episodes in season two. So the last episode will air on December 18th. Chapter six. Um, again, they're all written by John Favreau or Dave Filoni, um, with the exception of chapter 15, which is Rick Fam. I oh, gosh, Fem- help me out, girl. <laughs> Rick Fenua. Fenua. Yeah. I don't feel like that's right either. I don't think so. Um, anyway, so we know that a lot of the previous directors are returning, um, but new this season will be Peyton Reed. Robert Rodriguez and Carl Weathers, who also plays in the show um, as Karga. Um, yeah, so season two. So we've speculated a lot um, leading up to this. There's been some kind of teases or potential spoilers or rumors going around about characters that we're going to see in season two that a lot of people are really hyped about. Yes. One of them tied to the Darksaber. Mm-hmm. We've and said Bo Katan. Was the last one to wield it. And there's um, rumors that Katie Sackhoff will return, who was the um, voice actress in the series for that, that she will actually get to play live action version of that character, which is so cool. Um, Also, there are rumors of Ahsoka Tano, which we first see in the Clone Wars as Anakin's apprentice. And then she kind of develops throughout that series. And then we later see her in Rebels as an informant. For the Rebels, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, we kind of leave that series on kind of a dead end with Sabine, the person who gave Bo-Katan the Darksaber, and her going after Ezra Bridger, which was the main character of this series. So, you know. So there's somewhere in the universe. She survived, obviously, the purging of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And passed the downfall of the empire because the end of the rebel series i believe is like a year or two Mm -hmm. after the empire has been destroyed so you know in this time period that ahsoka is alive and her and sabine are going off on some quest to find ezra so she is obviously a very knowledgeable force user that my hopes are she'll meet up with the child and train him in the ways of the force, but you know, kind of hopeful there. That <laughs> yeah, would be pretty cool. And rumored to be playing her live action mm-hmm. version is I forget her name. Like oh. Her face, but uh, uh, Rosario Dawson. Yes, yes, yes. It's kind of what the fans have kind of wanted for a while. If Ahsoka was to come to live action, but just because of her facial features and how she very nicely would pair up with what we've seen of Ahsoka in the past and the Rebels and the Star Wars Clone Wars series. So again, rumors, like none of these things have been officially um, confirmed. Um, There was one interview with Rosaria where she kind of hinted at it a little bit. So yeah. Um, But Cara, uh, Gina Carana, um, Cara Dune's, actress um you know mentioned about those rumors that some of them are true some of them are not so (laughs) we don't know what we're gonna get um favreau has been quoted as saying the new season is about introducing a larger story in the world um the stories become less isolated yet each episode has its own flavor 
Hopefully we're bringing a lot more scope to the show. Everything gets bigger, stakes are higher, but also the personal story between the child and the Mandalorian develops in a way we think people will enjoy. Um, it's also been stated that the writing uh, will be similar to influences from Game of Thrones. Um, so this first season was more like individual stories in each episode that vaguely tied into this larger arc of development of characters. Whereas there's going to be some episodes where it's, the story is going to fall through into multiple episodes. So they're not going to be as standalone. Um, also, one thing about Ahsoka is Filoni did create this character. So he has a little bit of a soft spot for her. So that's why I also feel like she's going to show up in this series that he's working on. Yeah. Um, except, you know, it might be one of those things where it's the big reveal at the end, like the yeah. dark saber, where maybe we don't actually see her to the end. Yeah, it's like um, the very last scene of the last yeah. episode or something. Boo. But um, <laughs> a couple of other, um, you know, pretty well-known fun characters or uh, actors are rumored to be coming onto the show. So we'll see if that happens. Um, it's been confirmed that this season picks up directly after the first season. So there's no time jump happening. Um, there's a really great article in Entertainment Weekly. They did a whole special um, magazine article thing, you know, whatever they call those special release. That's just about the Mandalorian. So we got some new artwork, some shots of the, of the characters, um, and some good interviews and quotes, um, about season two in that article. So if you have a chance to look that up online, it's really good. Um, gosh, what else have we speculated about season two? It's going to be amazing. <laughs> um, we know coming back, let me see here if you're going to be watching this later online. I've got some pictures here. We know that Cara Dune is coming back um, as her character. Um, Grief Karga is coming back. Of course, the child um, and the Mandalorian. Um, cute little pouch there he's got coming in. Um, so the first trailer that we've seen, there's been some... Um, Interesting little bits in that. Mm -hmm. We hear the the narration kind of it's a recap of what we've known so far. Um, in the armorer's voice, kind of recapping that you know he's being sent out looking for the child's people, yeah. um, which are the Jedi. Mm -hmm. um, so you see what we think are some familiar planets um, to to what the universe would have known of as being places where the Jedi were like Tatooine. There's a snowy planet, which you think is different than maybe what I think. I had this mindset that maybe they would follow the path of Luke and maybe you'd see Hoth, maybe you'd see Tatooine, but you had a better idea, I think. No, I think yours is probably more the direction they'll go because my thoughts were in the video game that recently came out. Uh, what was it called? Fallen Order? Yeah, Fall. Jedi Fallen Order. Mm -hmm. uh, he visits a planet to get a kyber crystal that's pretty snowy. And a lot of Jedi's past have gone there to get their kyber crystal. It also shows up in uh, uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. Ahsoka takes a group of Padawans there and they get their kyber crystal. Same place. But, you know, it makes more sense that they'd follow Luke's path in this sense. But we'll see. Yeah. The odds of the Mandalorian taking the child to get a kyber crystal when he doesn't really know anything about making a lightsaber are pretty unlikely, but 
Yeah. Possible. Yeah. So the idea is who is the last known Jedi in the universe? You know, the Jedi were pretty much annihilated by Darth Vader. We know Ahsoka lived, a few other remnants of the Jedi lived throughout the galaxy. You learn that in um, written materials and comics, that there are a few Jedi sprinkled out that did survive Order 66. Yes, but a lot of them were in hiding. The only yeah. one that was probably well known to a the lot rebellion. of people is Luke, which yeah. was part of the rebellion. So yeah. that's probably the only Jedi a lot of people know of. Yeah, so perhaps before he, you know, hermited on the island um, planet that he you know, was known and had a Jedi school, right? Mm -hmm. That we know from Kylo Ren's story. Um, So we assume he's probably going to try and follow the rumors of of Luke. um, Yeah. To to try and find the Jedi. And you see a scene where there's a cloaked figure, black cloaked figure. We assume it's a Jedi looking robe, that it's perhaps a Jedi in hiding that's kind of watching them, studying them, probably recognizes Yoda's species in the child and is piqued about this. Yes. Um, we see a watery planet where he's on like a barge of some kind. Um, gosh, what else? Uh, he's being chased by an X-Wing. Oh, and yeah. at one point it looks like maybe they're on the same side or he's being escorted by them. And yeah. then one scene, it looks like maybe it's trying to attack him. Yeah. Hard to tell. So there's some interesting things there. Oh, what else is in that trailer? We were hoping for another teaser trailer before... Oh, the wrestling match. The the uh, what do they call it? Um, there's a there's a term for the type of fighting that is in the universe, and I can't remember. And you see the little pig, the little green pig guys from Jabba's palace. The Gamor. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm getting confused with Marvel <laughs> for a moment. Anyways, those little guys are in a lot of the artwork in the background of the posters that were revealed. Um, so we might spend a lot of time kind of on that storyline. Um, cute little spot in that where uh, the child closes himself in his pod for mm-hmm. safety because he saw the Mandalorian's birds of prey or uh, I don't know, birds uh, of prey. whistling uh, birds, whistling birds light up on. And so he knows what that means. So he's like, Oh, I better hide really quick. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. We know they're being pursued by Gideon still, um, hopes to learn more about the backstory. There's been some tidbits about the downfall of the Mandalorian, um, but we really don't know what happened. There's a, a, a nod to the battle of a thousand tears or something like that that Gideon mentions, mm-hmm. um, and that he's somehow um, responsible for a lot of the annihilation that's happened. So, Yeah, and then the client in episode one, I believe, he said something that... uh, Make sure you're facing this way so we can hear you. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) He he said to the Mandalorian after he gave him the first bar of Beskar as kind of a down payment for finding the child, that it's good that the Mandalorian, that the Beskar gets back in the hands of a Mandalorian after a period of such disarray. So for somebody... In the Empire to say something like that, it kind of also nods at the fact that the Empire got that Beskar from the Mandalorians and how cherished Beskar is by the Mandalorian people. It was definitely by force. So, yeah. So, uh, Favreau quoted um, that I have no questions. Fans are going to like this season even more. Everything is there. 
if you're a Star Wars fan, you're going to get to see things you've always wanted to see. You want The Empire Strikes Back to be better than A New Hope. So, like, ooh, goosebumps right now. <laughs> like, I'm so excited for this uh, season two. Um, well, you just got to kind of think, what is something you've always wanted to see in live action that you haven't got to see? For me, it's Ahsoka. <laughs> yeah, your favorite yeah. character. So, but like, other people. Yeah. It might be some other things. Some cool stuff. Um, so, we've already got confirmed that season three um, is going to happen and is written and is in pre-production now. Uh, filming and produ- main production are supposed to start in the spring. So, hopefully... That means if all goes well, we'll get a season three in the fall, like we're getting a season two now. Um, And then there's also been rumors that season four is confirmed and that they're starting on kind of some ideas around what that will look like. So we at least are going to have a few more seasons, which is exciting. Um, And I think that's it. Did we have anything else to add? Um, Please tune in every Monday, um, the Monday after an episode airs. Um, we will drop just a, what we hope will be our quick thoughts on the uh, chapters that yeah. are released on Friday. There's no guarantee. We thought this would be an hour, um, and we're at an hour and a half. So thank you for uh, hanging with us if you've made it this far. Um, we appreciate you guys listening in, trying to get a little bit more info about The Mandalorian and Hopefully we've hyped you up for what some of the cool stuff will be in season two. And maybe if you didn't catch all of season one, this gives you enough to go off of where you don't have to worry about uh, watching all of them before you dive into season two. So join us on Mondays, get a quick recap, our thoughts, maybe (laughs) quick um, (laughs) on each episode as it's released. Um, Also check out, of course, all the cool uh, merchandise that will be released for pre-order for Christmas and stuff on Mondays. (laughs) Um, If you want to go deeper into um, kind of the theology or the psychology behind the Star Wars universe and the Mandalorian, those underlying themes like nurture versus nature, you know, Star Wars is really amazing at diving into more, more in depth, um, Things like that without, um, I don't know, making it like super in your face. But these themes are underlined throughout um, the Star Wars universe. The hero's journey, um, the old samurai movies are are very heavily influenced, old westerns. Um, There are a lot of amazing people out there that break all this stuff down way better than we ever could. So we're not going to try to go there. Um, But I highly recommend it if you want to geek out. there's some great podcasts. Uh, the YouTube channel that you like to go to is Star Wars Explained. Is that the name of it? I think so. Um, I they know. do quick kind of uh, educational little things. Uh, you could even just type in the Darksaber um, on their site and it'll pop up with a quick YouTube video giving you more details. Um, I enjoy a couple um, of really great, great podcasts. Um, what the Force is one of them. Um, and I'm totally spacing and I should have wrote the name of the other one down. Um, they do really good deep dives into all of those kind of things. And of course I'm not finding it. What the force and, um, where are they? 
Bowl of Sith is another great one. Uh, yeah. Anyways, hit me up on social media. I'll refer you to some of those other um, contents if you want. I'm found at Amberatin Cosplay on Instagram and Facebook. You are? Um, I don't really use my Instagram, but... Snips Jr.? No, I think maybe. You can find me at... <laughs> Yeah, snips, S-N-I-P-S underscore J-R, my initials. I don't really use it all that often. If I get some followers, I might try to. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, hold on, I'll bring it up. Sorry, you're seeing all these random other things really quick while I try to find her. Oh, I don't see it. (laughs) Why don't I see it? Oh, gosh. See, now I'm messing with stuff. Where I need, I need like a... I need a producer right here to help me with all this stuff. Uh, anyways, um, please also follow oh, Well Department podcast on all of those medias as well. Um, and we look forward uh, to chatting with you guys on Mondays. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We're now listening to a member of the Disney Podcast family. Head over to Disney Podcast Family on Instagram to see all the latest posts for this show and links to other great Disney podcasts.